Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sake Revolution. This is America's first sake podcast. I'm your host, John Puma from the Sake Notes, administrator of the internet sake discord, the guy on the show who's not a sake samurai, and just an old-fashioned sake nerd just like you. And I'm your host, Timothy Sullivan. I am the sake samurai, the sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And together, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake and doing our best to make it fun and easy to understand. That's right, Tim. And uh, today we're doing our, I believe this is our second in our series of U.S. sake brewers. Yes, that's right. We have a very, very VIP special guest in the studio with us. Ooh, yes, in the studio with us. Right. <laughs> over over the interwebs. Yeah. I want to welcome Yoshihiro Sako to Sake Revolution. Welcome, Yoshi. It's so good to have you. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you for having me, John. It's fantastic. So you are the brewer at Den Sake Brewery in Oakland, California. And this is, as John mentioned, this is our second interview with a U.S. sake brewer. And we're so excited to have you with us today. To get started, why don't you give us a little bit of a self-introduction? Uh, yes, my name is Yoshi, Yoshihiro Sako. I'm a head brewer and the owner of Den Sake Brewery in Oakland, California. Uh, we established this brewery in 2018, so it's been two years and a little bit. And currently, we right now we produce about 250 cases every two months, something like that. And mainly the locally, we distribute our sake by ourselves locally within Bay Area, including San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley. And we just started shipping within California. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Great. So professionally, what did you do before you got into making sake? Were you connected to the sake industry? Yes, thank you for asking. I was gonna tell this, but I forgot. Yeah, I was in the restaurant uh, industry for a long time, more than 15 years in San Francisco. I was sake wine buyer and I became a sake director at the restaurant called the Yuzuki Japanese Eatery in San Francisco. Then I also started teaching sake class when I was working in the restaurant and I wanted to, you know, gain more the sake knowledge. So, uh, you know, I was like, okay, maybe let's brew sake. And uh, I did some apprenticeship a couple of different breweries in Japan. And I came back to San Francisco. I felt like I kind of like I needed to brew by myself. We decided to brew test brewing at the, my friend's backyard in the Bay Area. And uh, it kind of went, it, it came out really good. So we kind of like got confident. So we kind of decided to go into uh, it's like a brewing business. <laughs> it's a big change. <laughs> it's kind of easy to say, but it was kind of a big change for me, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. What made you go like, you know what? I want to try and brew some sake. I mean, obviously you made that call, mm -hmm. but what was, what was the seed that, that brought that on? I was in the restaurant industry for a long time and uh, that kind of made me a little bit tired of being always kind of up against the, uh, uh, toward the uh, customers. And also I kind of like need to work till super late. And uh, I was actually playing music 
before I got into the restaurant industry, I was playing music. I was playing bass in several bands in the Bay Area, doing recording and some tours. And when I felt like kind of a little bit kind of tiring, like in a restaurant job, you know, I still love going to the restaurant, but job wise, I felt like it was time to move to something different. I really wanted to leave some creativity that because I'm used to, I was used to like just playing music, making music all the time. And so some creativity and plus something I wanted to go into a little bit more introverted kind of like world. So I think shifting to the uh, sake brewing business from a uh, uh, restaurant work, I think it was kind of smooth shift, even though we, we had to struggle a little bit in the beginning, but uh, it was kind of smooth shift mentally for me. Wow. Uh, yeah, I imagine that would be quite a shift. So you're now you're you're making sake in the U.S. and but you've got a lot of experience with with styles of of sake made in Japan. How would you say that U.S. made sake is developing stylistically, and how is that different from Japan made sake these days? I it's very hard to say because I haven't tried all the domestic sake yet. But for my case. I'm trying to make sake definitely pair well with the food here and the food that I, I eat everyday life. Uh, brought sake into the restaurant, like a Californian cuisine or Italian cuisine restaurants, and I kind of pair sake with all those non-Japanese food or non-Asian food. And uh, sometimes it's very successful, but at the same time, I felt like just the uh, attack of the sake is, I felt like it's a little bit weaker than wine and i love wine and i i drink a lot of wine too so i just started to think what's the difference between sake and wine and as a lot of people knows the biggest difference between sake and wine that's kind of acidity uh it's it's a big difference it, wine has much higher acidity and the sake instead has a lot of more umami flavor based you know a lot of times comes from uh, amino acid so that's a backbone of sake the umami and the backbone wine is more like acidity. And so that acidity, you know, I always enjoy that acidity, even if I eat some kind of salad, you know, and also, of course, meat, like a protein-rich food, fattier food. I always enjoy pairing food I eat with something a little bit acidic beverage. So I wanted to make sake with that acidity that pair well with the food here. So, Yoshi, where, where in Japan are you from? I'm from Kanagawa Prefecture, uh, you know, next to Tokyo, uh, Yokohama, and the Kamakura is in Kanagawa Prefecture. One thought or question I kind of had was, you know, you're a Japanese person making sake outside of Japan. Do you feel any advantage or disadvantage from being a Japanese person making sake outside of Japan? Uh, well, interesting question. I think it's, for me, it's easy to access all the, uh, for example, thesis or uh, some kind of, when I hit the problem, when I'm brewing sake, I always check, I ask people, but also I can find a lot of thesis about the uh, sake brewing because it's written in Japanese. So as a native Japanese, I can read all the Japanese. I think it's definitely, it's advantage for me to get the, all the information about sake brewing. This advantage is it's opposite. It's sometimes it's, it's hard 
to uh, communicate, for example, mm -hmm. like a dealer or supplier or, and it's just a habit. It's not only language, it's just a habit of doing the business. It's kind of a little different, you know, Japanese mentality versus American mentality. It's a little bit different. So I need to adjust to the American way. And it's, it's still not easy for me. Yeah. What's the one thing that you would want Japanese people to know about U.S.-made sake? Since you are making a slightly different style, you're making something that's a little bit more friendly for American food, what would be the lessons you'd want to take back in, when you're speaking to a Japanese person about sake that you make? I think it's Japanese sake industry inside. It's very uh, strict. I mean, you know, I think those rating system about sake, it's very strict and uh, for example, like, uh, have you heard about the things called the kigashu, the smell of the wood? It's like, I think it's inferior. I mean, it's inferior in, in a sake brewing, uh, traditional sake brewing world in Japan. You know, a lot of those kind of like uh, things that Japanese people think that's inferior or uh, it's a bad thing, it can be good here. And a lot of people here don't have those uh, very strict, how can I say, regulation or uh, rule uh, of sake making. So I can more add those things to be considered like a bad in Japan. I think it's just a clean and uh, super beautiful aromatic style sake, elegant style sake. It's not always, you know, necessary to be always like that. You know, I think we can add something um kind of off flavor but if it's a little bit it, it becomes kind of attraction so it's that means in that sense i just feel like brewing sake in united states i think it has much you know kind of more possibility for me yeah well talking about brewing sake in the u.s i think that there must be some unique challenges to brewing sake in the u.s versus in japan as someone making sake over here in the U.S., what has surprised you or challenged you the most versus making sake in Japan? Well, not so many choice uh, for rice varietal. And of course, less sake rice here growing in the United States. And uh, also equipment-wise, there's no uh, company sells sake brewing equipments here. So I definitely need to use something from a wine world or a beer world or something totally different. So equipment sourcing was, I think it's, it was the hardest part for me. So you had to improvise a little bit and like make things up as you went along. Did you build any of your own equipment? Yeah, um, I built a koji room, koji table, koji boxes, um, Kaibo, the mixing pole, <laughs> using Himalayan, Himalayan cedar and the bamboo. They don't sell them at True Value Hardware down the street? <laughs> exactly, no. <laughs> Strange, strangely, they don't, they're not available at Home Depot. Exactly. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think a lot of stuff I made by myself, and I enjoy it, actually, those woodworking part as well. Yeah, well... One thing we all want is to grow the sake industry. You know, wherever you're making sake in the world, I think everyone wants this industry to grow. From your point of view as a sake maker, 
what do you think are some of the important things that need to be done in the industry to help the industry grow? I think education is very important. I think, as you guys know, wine has been developed a very academic way. Summary system and the, a lot of those kind of like education system. I think that kind of education system uh, is lead a lot of people into more like serious drinker. Unfortunately, sake will not like developed like that, like wine. I think in Japan, you know, those kind of academic way of introducing sake was not happening in Japan. And I think those are very strong, especially when I live in the United States, I feel the strengths of those academic power or academically understanding kind of like uh, exposure. That's probably very powerful. But for some reason, when I'm in Japan, I, I didn't really feel it. And every time I go back to Japan, I don't really feel it. So people really don't use those academic way of enjoying like beverage in Japan, probably not as much as United States at least, but here definitely those academic way is very important. So education is probably, I think the most important part. Well, it is uh, customary on our show here to drink sake. That's what we do on sake revolution. We talk about sake and then we drink sake a bit. And uh, we are fortunate enough to, have a few bottles shipped over here from California. It's a den batch number 11. Great. Yeah. I can give the, the stats that we have for this Mm -hmm. Yoshi and let Mm -hmm. you know the bottle that we have. And then you taste it. Maybe you can guide us Mm -hmm. a little bit through this. So this is a Junmai sake, single pasteurization. It's semi buoy or rice milling percentage is 70%. And the alcohol percentage here, it says 16.7. And the sake rice is Kalhikari rice. Yep. Ruin Forsman Ranch, that's the source of the rice. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, and John and I are both drinking batch 11. So you have the batch labeled on all your sakes. I, I love that, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome, thank um, you. So actually, I'm not very familiar with Kalhikari. Most of the North American breweries that I've encountered have been using either Calrose or sometimes they get Yamada Nishiki that's grown in the U.S. The Kalhikari is going to be a, a new experience for me. I think uh, I think we are the only one using Kalhikari rice to make sake, I think, in the world, I think, for now. And that's a crossbreed of... Uh, Koshihikari, Akita Komachi, and the Car Rose. Oh wow! But it was it was born in California. Very interesting. I like that. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pour my sample of the Den Jun Mai Batch Eleven. All right. Please. Now I notice in the glass there is just just a hint of some color here. Do you do charcoal filtering to your sake? I don't. Okay. So all Muroka and uh, almost Genshu, but uh, add a little water. Mm. Now the aroma is very subtle. It's not explosive and super, super bombastic aroma. Is that something mm. you are going for a little more restrained? 
Yeah, just a little bit about Obati character. That's what I want. And, uh, you know, I think it's easy to do the pairing. And if there's too much aroma, it, you know, that's definitely picks only certain kind of food. But mm. I think this can be much more versatile. Mm. Well, giving it a first sip, one of the first things I notice is that there's a there's a richness to the texture. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some sakes that have that restrained aroma mm. are almost like water on the palate. Mm. And they're very light. You know, sakes from Niigata, for example, mm. you know, they're very light, clean. But this has a restrained aroma. But when it hits the palate, there's a richness and it coats the palate a little bit. And there's a brightness on the finish. So I can see where, what you were talking about before and wanting to be more food friendly and how this, this structure would stand up more to non-Japanese mm-hmm. foods. Wow, great description. Thank you. Yeah, it does. This shares a lot of qualities that we've uh, encountered in other sakes that are very Western food friendly and doing a really, I, I just, I want to have dinner all over again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is just, definitely comes across that way to me. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the sweetness and dryness of this sake? For me, uh, this batch 11, I don't know what the SMV is, but it's not coming across as that sweet at all. Right. The finish is dry. Yeah. Uh, is that what you were going for? Yeah. One time I made a little bit sweeter style, but I think I tend to like dry style. And uh, so this SMB is actually, it's a positive 3.3. Hmm. Uh, but it feels like it's drier than that number, actually. And uh, acidity level is 2.6. So it's pretty high acidity. That that probably adds to the perceived dryness a little bit too. Right, right. Yeah. I think so. So a lot of times you guys probably know, but the, if the sake has super high acidity, usually they make it sweeter to balance it out. Uh, like a good Riesling as well, you know, Riesling has super high acidity, but uh, instead a lot of times Riesling also becomes kind of sweeter to, to balance out. Um, but uh, I just didn't want just uh, lots of sweetness. So, uh, I think for acidity of 2.6, it can be sweeter, but I made a little bit drier because I like drier style. 2.6 rating for acidity is much higher than you would normally find in Japan. Right. Yeah, that is very high. I mean, on average, it's it would be usually between 1.0 and 2.0. Yeah. So going up to 2.6 is noticeably higher than the average style you'd get mm-hmm. in Japan. And you mentioned before about your background studying wine and your love of wine. Do you think that that higher acidity and the need and the want to pair with non-Japanese food, is that guiding that choice to have the acidity come out so much higher? I think so. I strongly believe that. Yeah. And also, according to my song friends, uh, they also love the acidity and some of them actually mentioned that they picked them for their restaurant because of the acidity. I think that a lot of North American sake brewers try to emulate that more floral, that more fruity, sweeter style. And I like that you're just, you're going in a different direction and saying, no, 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 I want to make something that's drier. It's something that's going to pair more aggressively with food. This is going to really go nicely with a lot of really good dishes. Is there anything in particular for this particular uh, bottle that we have today that you would recommend uh, pairing with? Mm, yeah, 
like pale well i like drinking this with something like even if it's meat like a chicken or with the uh, some kind of chimichurri sauce something like gramolata sauce or uh, you know something like with a little acidity to it if you put those sauce onto the even like a steak or a chicken you know that pair really well together and uh, pesto sauce is pretty good with this sake as well Ooh, i've got some of that in the house so might have to try that soon yeah, and you're like ground zero. You're in Oakland, California. You have so much good food and great restaurants around you. It must be really fun to try your sake with all the different restaurants you have right in your neighborhood, right? Yeah, that's really it's really fun, and it's very. Uh, I really appreciate all those kind of support from the especially local people, local restaurants, and we're close to Napa as well. So you know. Some of the Napa restaurants also carry them and the pair with non-Japanese food. Uh, that's super exciting. And also my wife, Lani, she's a half Japanese, half American. So she cooks a lot of different style of food. Some, uh, sometimes they're traditional Japanese and sometimes Californian-influenced food. And uh, those stuff, every day, you know, it's very enjoyable to drink sake with kind of new dish and they just find out, wow, this dish really go well with my sake. You know, it's really fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed tasting your, your Junmai sake here. It's really, really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I understand why it's selling out every time you make it. <laughs> Do you have any plans to increase your production or are you going to stay with your current production size? Yeah, actually, we are actually, actually, we keep expanding little by little uh, each batch and the next batch we will expand a little more again. And yeah, initially we were thinking about just moving to bigger location and having a tasting room inside. And, but, you know, because of this pandemic thing, we kind of like a little bit backed off and we changed our plan and we kind of decided to stay in the same location, but keep expanding our production scale little by little. Yeah. So maybe you can tell us uh, how people can get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about your sake. And if they want to order your sake, what's the best way to get their hands on some zen for themselves? Okay. Like I said, we started shipping within California, direct from from Den Sake Brewery. So, you know, people who live in inside California, you can go to our website, densakebrewery.com and you can order through that and uh, if you live outside of California uh, like a place like uh, Umami Mod in Oakland or True Sake in San Francisco they ship outside yeah, California and uh, for listeners at home that's exactly how we got our hands on the sake that's great yeah <laughs> and we'll have we'll have all that in the tasting notes so you can visit sakerevolution.com and we'll have all the links for you to visit Den Sake Brewery website and get the sake for yourself. That's great. Thank yes. you so much, guys. Yeah. Yoshi, thank you so much for joining us and giving us a little insight into how your brewery uh, came about and what you guys are all, what you guys are up to and what you're all about over there. Um, the sake is very delicious. I really like this. This is nice. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really great. We appreciate you taking the time so much. And thank you again so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Yoshi, so much. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We really do hope that you're enjoying our show. 
If you'd like to show your support for Sake Revolution, one way you could really help us out would be to take a couple of minutes and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. It's really one of the best ways you can help us get the word out about our show. And please also make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, tell a friend and get them to subscribe. We don't want them to miss an episode either. And as always, if you want to learn more about any of the topics or any of the sake we talked about in today's episode, all you have to do is visit our website, sakerevolution.com, and check out our detailed show notes. And if you have sake questions that you need answers, topics you want us to discuss, sakes you want us to drink, North American brewers you want us to interview, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, please remember to keep drinking sake and kampai. kampai.